Well, I'm delighted to say that uh, joining me on the Godcast this week is Andy Morrison. Now, Andy is an ex-professional footballer, a legendary captain of Manchester City. He's played for uh, our rivals down the road, Blackburn Rovers, um, Plymouth, Blackpool, Huddersfield, and uh, entered entered into the world of football management. Andy, it's absolutely brilliant to get you on the Godcast. How are you doing? I'm good, Alex. Thank you. Great. Well, where's home for you, Andy? You, you're a well-travelled guy. Where, yeah, where, I'm in there. Yeah, no, I'm in uh, just outside Northwich, um, over in Cheshire. So uh, we've been settled here now for, you know, best part of uh, 23 years. So quite happy. Yeah, Andy. Andy, I was looking at your kind of resume. That's some CV you've got, isn't it? It's um, very, it's, very, very. It's, it's quite extensive. And I thought, well, where do, where do I start with? So I'm actually going to start in the most recent. How how does somebody such as yourself has a CV that goes kind of Connor's key? football manager to manager in the Sri Lankan national side. How, how did that come about? Well, it's um, it was an opportunity that uh, came about from relationship with uh, Tim Cahill, who um, is working in at um, Qatar Aspire. And it was um, it was a, a an idea really to leave a legacy after the World Cup of helping the, the, the nations at the lower regions. You know, we all know Italy, Germany, we all know England, um, Spain, these teams at the top end, but there's also a, a pecking order, and there's a lot of teams like down below 200. So it was mm. to try and um, develop them countries, uh, improve their infrastructure, and ultimately help them to win games of football. Where, where are Sri Lanka, Andy, in the pecking order? What what is the? Well, they're as low as it can be. Um, yeah. There's there were 207 um, out of about 210 and I don't think the other three really have any teams that are uh, that are working so we are right at the you know we're right at the very bottom at this moment in time um and you know it's probably a, a country that has struggled for many decades now to um actually develop grassroots football to create a pathway to the national team and you know hopefully in years to come that'll be in place. So, so does that mean that you get involved in the grassroots stuff as well as the the older guys? Or no, I mean, I'm there in you know, I'm there as a national team manager, but I'm there in many capacities really to, you know, to help to to create the vision of where we want to go, and you know, and hopefully, you know, my whatever qualities I have, they'll use to, you know, to help develop that young, you know, because we don't have a domestic league at the minute, which is working to actually produce, you know, what's been probably the best part of 15 months since they, they had any domestic football. So it's very, very difficult to create a pathway for uh, for the national team to be able to compete at any sort of level. But, um, you know, that's something that's, there's plannings in place for that. And we hope uh, we'll start to see the growth maybe sooner, sooner rather than later. Have you got some lads with potential? Or is the standard half decent or, or is it okay. really... It's it's limited because of the as I said as a struggle they've had now for a long period of time to actually develop football um, and and get the structure from like I say grassroots all the way through um, and the pathway to the to the national team and there are players that are worldwide you know that um, do carry um, Sri Lankan passports and you know and and they have a connection with the country through family um, and we've seen a lot of them and there's some very talented players. Um, that's something that will come further down the line, you know, when we start to scout them and recruit them. But for now, it's we're basically just trying to get started and, and going again. You know, things are difficult at the moment. There's a suspension from FIFA, 
on Sri Lanka football and um, because the last election wasn't done correctly as is the protocol for 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 for, for a FIFA selected um committee within a country and um I don't think that was done correctly so there's been a you know, it's obviously sanctions. They're suspended at the moment, and we're hoping to have that lifted in the coming weeks, so that we can then go back out and start this journey. Is it is it a job that that's exciting? Is it is it kind of got the juices flowing? Or? Yeah, one hundred percent. Actually, you know, it's um, it felt right at the time where I was in my life and where I wanted to go. You know, I'd um, had had six or seven years of incredible success, culminating in um, winning the titles in Wales and manager of the season back to back. Um, and I needed a change. I needed a challenge. Um, something, you know, where I felt I was meant to be, and this was perfect. Um, whether that goes on to be how I, how I, uh, you know, visualized it and, and what I was hoping for, only time will tell. You know, that's in the lap of the Lords. But at the minute, you know, um, my heart wants to get back out there and work. You know, when yeah. my, I feel it's my purpose. But you know, life doesn't always work that way. And and talking about. Welsh football, Andy. You you managed Connors Connors Key for six years, I think you said. And yeah. and when when you took them over, they were they were in a club not too dissimilar to perhaps Sri Lanka in terms of they were they were they were really struggling, weren't they? I, I was wondering what your your approach to that was. We you know and and just in uh, talking from a, somebody who worked for for Argos as a manager, you know, I wondered if the, if the management techniques of a store. Yeah, manager like myself, similar to that of a football manager. What what was the what was the starting point for well, you? We, we, were bottom, we were bottom of the league in the Welsh Premier League, and um, but there was a lot of good things in place. You know, there was an ambitious chairman, which is always a big plus, um, who had a vision of where he wanted to go. There was good players, um, there was good coaches there. There was an infrastructure being built to really develop and go on and do what we did eventually. And you know, from from day one, I know it's old cliches and that, but I basically had one day and then I started training the players and I worked and, and focused on that one day, got into one game. And then before you know it, you're you're into six to eight games. And then before you know it, you know, you're starting to make an impression. We were we were winning games of football and it grows from there. Um, of course there is. I mean, you know, in your mind's eye, you always have a vision of where you want to go. But everything is in the day. Everything is giving your attention to the moment and what you're doing in front of you. And then things follow on from that. Yeah. And and just for people who are, who are less familiar with Welsh football, was the, was the club full-time at this point? Was it semi-pro? What, what was the setup? Well, it was semi-pro at that point. Um, and, you know, part-time players that were working and coming in. And we managed to get into Europe on the first um, the first year I was there, which was a catalyst really to kick us on. Um, that gave us the opportunity then to reinvest in the squad. And then we gradually grew from there. We did go full time. Um, it was more of a hybrid sort of, um, you know, a combination of part-time players and full-time players who we were training in a full-time model. Um, but it grew, you know, and it, and it, and it improved. And when, when we needed the certain players at the right time, they came along. And, um, you know, when we went on ultimately to topple TNS, which is, which is an incredible achievement um, considering the financial input that's put in into that club to be successful. You know, it's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times what everybody else in the league is. So to actually conquer them was was a great achievement. Yeah. And which, which road did you go down, um, Andy, as the gaffer there? Did, did you go down the youth route or did you call on your decades of experience in the Football League and bring in experienced pros? How, how did that go? 
Well, it was, we, because of, um, you know, being part-time, it's hard to bring through youngsters, um, you know, the gulf between what's needed and what was available is huge. And, you know, if you can find one, I guess that goes for any club. I think if you can find one, you know, when um, over a season that'll break into your first team, that's a bonus. And we did, but it was basically structured around good ex-professional footballers who had moved into work, moved away from the full-time game. Um, and we built it from that. And then when we did go full-time, we managed to bring in players and we developed them. And, um, you know, when we, we a couple of them went on into the Football League. Yeah, I was uh, chatting to a mate of yours, Andy Payton, uh, yeah. about about life after football, and and he tried the uh, non-league management route. And one of the struggles he had, Andy, was that he was just like the the caliber and the quality just wasn't what he was used to, and he found it difficult. Was there any of that for you, or, or were you? Uh... Well, it's, it's a difficulty that um, you know I think anybody's going to have. Um, but you know, I I was an assistant manager you know, for a period of time. And that's where my attention is. And that's where my work has to be done. I then went on to manage. Um, and that's where my work is. You know, if you're, if you're always looking for something else, you you take your eye of what you're doing, you know, and, and my job was to manage Connors Key on a daily basis. Uh, and I give my attention to that. And whatever comes on the back of that, so be it. But, um, you know, you're dealing with what you've got. And I and I hear Andy, but, you know, if that's what you're dealing with, then you get the best out of what you've got. And you, and you find a way to to not just win games of football, to improve people um, and make a difference to them. You know, because if you've got good men and you've got good principles and good morals, you'll win games of football. It's a byproduct yeah. of all those things. And, you know, we managed to create that over a long period of time. And we, we had an incredibly strong group of men that then went and won games of football. And, and during that time, Andy, where there was a, quite a lot of success, was was um, did calls come from the English Football League, oh, you know, or, no. or or not? And if not, why why do you think that never happened? Well, I think it's a bit of a bubble over there. You know, we 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 did some amazing things. Um, maybe self promotion. Maybe I wasn't out there. You know, chucking my name around. You know, but like I say. Um, you know, my attention was there. My commitment was to that football club, and 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 I did that on a daily basis. And would I change it? No, I wouldn't. Um, you know, we won games of football. We beat Norwegian teams, full-time teams. We beat um, the Finnish champions, Helsinki. We not we we beat Kilmarnock. Um, you know, we had some incredible victories. You know, we beat the Kosovan champions. Um, so the on it looks a success, which it was, but. It's very, very difficult to to actually break into um, to break into the English system from the Welsh. It's been proven to be very, very difficult. And um, and I didn't have. I, I enjoyed what I was doing. I was loving my job. We were being successful. There was um, so many good things in place that you know I wasn't itching to get out. You know I wanted to do that and and do it to the best I could. And and ultimately, Andy, you, you you're one of the few managers that I can think of that actually made the decision to step away, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. You know, rather than get rather than get the bullet, you you yeah. actually I don't think I would have got, you know, like I say, we won back to back titles and, you know, on a personal level I got which I which I always wanted. I always wanted to win the manager of the season, you know, and and um but you know we we started the following season and I and I just had a moment, a moment in a game where, you know, you just you kind of like I need to 
step away from this. You know, I need to not refresh and re, you know, reinvent myself, but I just need a break from it because with the European football, it's a 50-week season if you're in Europe in, in the Welsh League. You know, you finish, say, end of end of May, you have two weeks off and then you're back mid-June to start your... Because you come in at, you know, the beginning of July. So there, there is no break. So it is relentless. So, you know, I needed to step away for a bit and, and look at things. And, you know, I went and visited many... I, I made many good contacts in the game and I went to so many football clubs and I looked at what they were doing um, seeing if anybody's reinventing the wheel and they weren't, you know, it was football as we know it and more sports science, more stat statistics. Um, but, you know, football's football and I never mm -hmm. saw anything. I never had a eureka moment where I thought, wow, look at what they're doing. I need to do that. You know, we were doing all the right things. Yeah. And this is, this of course, is the more recent past. But, um I love I love chatting to footballers about the beginning of their careers. Andy, you know, um, Trevor Stephen came on, and I'm a big Burnley fan, and he was talking about some of the old names um, that that brought him through. Who who were the who were the guys that were there? Who we you know? I guess you're probably role model to a lot of young guys in during your time in Wales. Who who were your kind of mentors when you started out that you took the real inspiration from? Yeah, I was I was very lucky. Um, you know, I, I listen. I came off the fishing boats. You know, my, my like I said it many times in my autobiography, you know, my last year in school, I had 15 days attendance. I was either working on my father's boat or I was playing football or I wasn't at school. It was simple as that. So I went into an environment of discipline within a football structure. And I had some, I had good people, really, really good people. And, you know, Dave Smith, the manager, who actually got a connection with Burnley. Um, and Malcolm Musgrove, my, um, you know, these were good people who were our coaches at that time. And, you know, they directed me. Also some, you know, older professionals that were, like I say, I find that, you know, what you need if you're open um, and your intentions are right, the right people come along. And I had the right people in my life early, especially in them early days where, like I say, I've literally, I walked off the back streets of Union Street in Plymouth, you know, out of a, out of a tenement flat, like, Mm. Uh, into that environment and it was um you know with no with no real discipline life discipline apart from my love football and I wanted to be a professional footballer yeah so that held me in good stead um and I made a lot of mistakes along the way but you know I think they were honest mistakes yeah do, do you remember the day you got your first professional contract Andy can you tell yeah. us about that yeah um Dave Smith I was I think I was just finished my YTS and they offered me a, a Dave Smith brought me in and offered me a contract, and um, I think it was forty pounds a week, um, and a, and an extra tenner for the second year, and yeah, and it was, um, you know, it 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 was one of the proudest moments of my life because I just I wanted to be a professional footballer and I wanted to play football for for Plymouth Argyle, and you know to do that, and you saw lads that were let go. And then you get kept on and incredibly proud, you know, and then went on to make my debut at Aston Villa, Villa Park at 17. Um, you know, again, was a, a huge game, a huge occasion for me. And um, because that's what I'd visualised as a child was coming through as a Plymouth schoolboy was playing for Plymouth, you know, making my debut. And then I went on, I scored the winner against Ipswich, which was one of my dreams to score at home park. And it was the winning goal against um, against Ipswich. So I, I, I achieved so much of what I'd actually visualized. I don't, you know, I, I think about it now and I've had this conversation many times. I don't think I dreamt big enough. I think my dreams were, 
and I think I achieved my dreams and I didn't dream bigger than that, you know, um, and I don't know why that is, um, whether it was expectations or where I thought I could actually go, but everything that I dreamt about, you know, and, and saw in my mind's eye, I achieved. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because I, I was thinking about, you know, your 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 struggles with mental health were uh, documented in your autobiography. I, I was wondering if, if your, uh, and this might sound a strange question, I hope it doesn't, whether your mental health issues made you a better footballer or actually they, they did stop you from reaching the, the next level, as it were, to, to reaching the, not not that you didn't reach the top level, you know, you played in, in the premiership, but uh, on a very, you know, on a, a a more consistent and a period of longevity. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a valid question. Um, and, you know, in many ways, Alex, I think with the problems that I had, you know, I think I climbed mountains to do what I did, but then I also hugely underachieved with the talent that I had and the ability that I had. You know, I went to Blackburn at 21, you know, for half a million pounds to Kent with, you know, Kenny Douglas was a manager. I was a talented, but I, I wasn't emotionally ready to deal with the pressures of all that. And, um, and you know, I, I don't, there's no regret whatsoever about the journey you know uh, Nietzsche talks about amorphity which is it's your journey it's your gift and I don't ever look back and think oh, I wish I'd done or this that's no, not you know it was, it's a gift your journey to where you are today um, and you know I wouldn't change anything from yeah. it because it you know it, it created and it created my pathway but it was incredibly challenging you yeah. know whatever's done and done it was challenging along the way and you know when I found I needed to escape from the reality of life. And I, and I did that with alcohol for a long period of time until, you know, I'm now 24 years since I last had a drink of alcohol, you know, I'm yeah. last 28. And, um, but I hid in that because I needed that crutch to get through life. I'll, I'll come to that in a second, Andy. I'm just curious to ask, you know, I mean, now in football, uh, the top clubs especially have got departments for everything, haven't they? You know, you name it, there's a department for it. When you just talked about your time at Blackburn, were were people telling you that you weren't making the most of your ability, or or was this um was this a perpetual kind of self doubt in your own mind? You know, I can do better, or were you being reminded of that on a daily basis by the coaches around you? Well, I don't think so because you're you're you know you're wrapped up in it. You're 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 in the training. You're in you know you're it's almost institutionalized in many ways because your whole life is structured. Only when you look back, when I think back about the pressure and the fear and the worry that I actually had um, around football and I didn't have the emotional intelligence, if you want to use the word intelligence, to actually deal with it and, and understand because, you know, those qualities are things that you build through your, your young years. You know, you get disappointment at school. You come up with things. You get challenges, and you you deal with them. I never dealt with anything because, for one, I wasn't at school, and I, and the life that we led, it didn't open up those learning strategies. You know, so when when I first came to massive pressure, you know, and expectations at twenty two, I didn't really. Well, I mean, I was playing at seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, but you know, I was always playing in my comfort zone because I was more than comfy at that level. But when I stepped up and the pressure was on. I didn't really have, I always I had physical resilience, but I didn't have mental resilience to be able to deal with the pressure I am under today going into this game, you know, and, um, yeah. and something I'm incredibly aware of now today. When, when, when did you, 
did you realize you had a problem with the drink before somebody else did? Um, no, not really. Again, now, you know, hindsight being the perfect vision, it's pretty obvious. You know, when you're when you're 18 years of age and the players are going for a drink in the afternoon, the staff, and you're one of the younger lads and 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 they you ask for a Coke and they ask why, we've heard you like a drink. And I, well, what's the point in having a if I can't get pissed, what's the point in, in having a drink? So I may as well just have a Coke. Um, you know, so that you don't 18 year olds don't think like that, you know, and that so that pattern was already there earlier, very early on, and within a short period of time. You know, I'd say by the age of 19, all I ever drank for was to just get completely, I'm not going out to have a drink. I'm going out to get complete oblivion. And I don't think that's normal, you know, but I didn't realise it at the time because of kind of parts of my upbringing, what things that I saw and what I thought was a norm. Um, it felt that way that, you know, this is what this is what men do. They drink, you know, they fight, they end up in, in jail, they end up at home, they end up in hospital. That's what happens. Um, and I did it many, many times. And like I say, looking back now, it's like, wow, you know, why didn't you see it or why didn't anybody else? But I wouldn't have listened to them anyway. It's quite interesting, I think, because when 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 people normally associate top footballers who've who've had you know a bit of a crash in their lives, it's it, it's often been towards the end of the career. You know, thinking of people like Gaza, Paul Stewart, who came on the uh, Godcast, who talked about his you know, came out and talked about his problems after his career was over and that crash of, of not having that security of a football team and a club. But yours was, you know, early doors, wasn't it? You were drinking young. And so when, when, when did somebody actually intervene? What was the, the kind of the big crescendo moment in all this, Andy? Was it after the game had finished? No, I mean, listen, I have, like I say, I'm not, I'm not, um, saying anything new but you know with stuff I spoke about openly in my book you know when mm -hmm. I had numerous court cases you know serious serious uh, violence where I was you know looking at like you know, anything up to 10 years if I was found guilty you'd think that would be the eye-opener you'd think that would be the you know you need to look at this but it was never it was always I'm not going to go I'm not going to get involved in that I'm not going to get it wasn't never I'm not going to have a drink that was out of the question because you know it's not about that but you know it's um Every time I messed up, I wasn't drunk. Every time I did mess up, I was drunk, you know, um, if that makes sense. Like, um, and, you know, because I had many, many times where I was drunk, but didn't end up in trouble. But when the trouble came along, it was always on the back of me being drunk. And, yeah. you know, and like I say, the penny just didn't drop. It really didn't. And whether that's ignorance or I think it was, Part I think from large parts of it, it was a complete un lack of understanding of what actually alcoholism is. You know, when I have an acute understanding of what it is now, and and I didn't at that point. You know, I had no, I had no um nowhere to go or turn with it until I actually did sort of surrender on that one day when you know I've had enough now. I this is me done. I have yeah. options here. I either take my own life or I try and get help. And thankfully, I got help. It feels really pertinent talking about this with, you know, a guy who used to play for Blackpool as well after what's happened there against my my beloved club Burnley and the consequences of of, of violence and obviously not knowing what's happened. But it it is terribly sad, isn't it, that these that these these things come out of uh, out of often drink fueled issues. 
how how close close were you to actually being sent down then, Andy? What what? Well, that was I was a jury decision, <laughs> guilty right. or not guilty. As simple as that, you know. And I've mean, many things phasing me in me, me, my life, and people have said that you know I I'm captain every club I've ever played for, and you know I'm a leader, and you know when people have said, "Oh, he's fearless," but I'll tell you what, fear is fear is waiting on a jury to come back, and when you're sat there with your family and they say guilty or not guilty, because you know if it's guilty, you're going there then. You're gone for a minimum of six years. Um, and that's your career over. And then in many ways, your life over. But, you know, the the facts of the whole incident, and there was three major incidents in my playing career, you know, uh, they were all self-defence. They were excessive, but they were self-defence. And, you know, and thankfully the jury saw that, you know, that you have to defend yourself. And I'm sure many of the people on the jury would have said, well, you didn't need to go to that excess, but, you know... You're in an environment where you've got to defend yourself, and it's in your nature, you know, how how much force you use. Uh, and I guess eventually, you know, they came to the conclusion that I used the correct force, but it still put me in a position, you know, where a section 18 with malicious wounding with intent that you, you're going to go to jail for between four and ten years. Mm. And as you look look back on those incidents, Andy, are you just grateful that you didn't go down? Do, do you feel, you know, do you carry any guilt? with you you know do, do you seek forgiveness of those you inflicted the hurt upon what, what how do you work that through well i don't would i do it differently now yes 100 percent. do i regret no i don't and i i i'm sincere in that i don't regret if i had the same choices again i would make different decisions but like i said it was my path it's who i was at them given times and i don't think you should ever look back on anything you did if it was part of your journey and it was an honest mistake, you shouldn't look back with regret or, or shame on anything you've done because it was your journey. Yeah. And and this was all going on while you were a professional footballer and you were playing you're playing for one of the biggest clubs who now in world football, perhaps not at that, that time. I know you've talked about the influence of Joe Royal. Just tell us about your relationship with with him, Andy, as a, as a gaffer. Well, like I say, you know, I think when the pupil's ready, you know, I think the teachers appear. And, you know, I had Willie Donaghy and Joe Royal, who were in my life at that point. You know, I had a fallout with the manager at Huddersfield. I was right to fall out with him as well. Um, and did I fall out with him in the right way? No. Would I Would I advocate doing to any young player what I did? I would say, no, don't do that. But it got me out of that club at that point. Um, and I loved my time at Huddersfield. You know, I was a captain at the club and... Um, but I had a fallout with the manager. I went to Manchester City and, and straight away, you know, my conversations with Willie Donaghy, who's, uh, you know, who thinks outside the box, very philosophical man, played for Burnley as well. Um, you know, he played a huge part as well with Willie. And, you know, I'd got myself into a mess again, you know, where I'd done all the right things and um, trained right, conducted myself in the right way. And then I deserved a drink. I went for a drink and got myself into all sorts of trouble again. Um, and I expected to have the book thrown at me, captaincy taken off me, blah, 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 fined, shamed <clears> or whatever. It wasn't like that, you know, and I, but I think I was ready at that point to listen to what was said. And, you know, Joe Joe said to me when I, when I started the apology, he said, like, you don't need to apologise. He said, you're not the first person who's let me down and you won't be the last. He said, but what about you? What about your life? You know, and I'd never, I'd never looked at it. I mean, I was just a commodity. I was just a footballer, you know, and, while I was up used to Plymouth Argyle or Blackpool or Blackburn and I was worth half a million pounds, they're looking after me. But I wasn't worth 
anything to them, they would have sacked me and got rid of me. That's the football life, and that is life. Um, and it wasn't about that, you know. Um, you know, Joe sort of said, you know, what you could have achieved in the game and what you can still achieve in the game. Surely you deserve more than that, than what you're, you know, waking up in police cells. Surely you're better, not better than that. It wasn't like that. It was surely you're worth more than that. Yeah. And it and it left a massive impression on me. And I went away and thought, yeah, do you know what? I need to, I need to do something now. And I did. I did what I needed to do at that point. And, um, and I followed that through on a daily basis since that day in, you know, that was, um, that was late, fe well, beginning of February 99. It's a fine line, isn't it, between um, you're better than that and you're worth more than that. I think it's got a very, really clever distinction by Joe Royal there. You know, this is not about how, you know, being a better person. It's about being the best of yourself, isn't it? And I think yeah. it's, um, it's quite wise. And, <clears throat> and so, and so the recovery began and you you in, engaged in this incredible relationship with Manchester City and the fans. Um, although I was in, interested, no, you didn't didn't. You, I mean, is, have you had something like thirty operations, Andy, in your career? Is that right? No, I've had um, well up to date. I've had like fifteen operations on my left knee, um, and three or four on my right knee, and my ankles and my back, and um, you know, and all byproduct of my football. Um, again, being unprofessional in many ways, and the time, um, the period in, in, in you know, football was different then. You know, it was all about the challenge. It was all about getting back as quick as you can. If you can't get back, get it injected, get back out on the pitch. And that's what men did. And that's what you thought was expected of you. So it was never, I don't want to do this and I'm being forced. It was a challenge to me. You know, I remember reading, I think it was Ali McCoy had a knee operation and he was back in, it was a different operation, but because it was a cartilage operation, I thought that what I had, but it was a bit more. And I, I was back out running within 10 days and he can do it. I can do it. You know what? I need the challenge. Like nowadays, the period and the recovery is so different because oh, of course, science and understanding of the body is greater. But back then, you know, I, I had um, my knee drained at halftime in the playoff final. And I had a painkilling injection before the game because that's what you did. You know, you didn't know any different. Um, you know, I was at Blackpool when we had the playoffs against uh, Bradford, and I, I had a broken toe, my big toe. But I just, they just, didn't, I literally hobbled in on crutches. They injected it in four places. I played the game fine, finished the game, and then two hours later, you're back on the crutches. That's what was expected of. I suppose, I suppose your captain has <laughs> got to just go and get it done, get on with it. You know, but you wouldn't do that now, and we know why because. Further down the line, you're going to be on a on a cold day like today. You're going to be wake up and hobbling into the bathroom like I am. <laughs> I'm going to say that. This is all what happened this morning. Is it? yeah, yeah. Um, Andy, and this this uh, this um, this turnaround in your approach to to your lifestyle against the backdrop of Man City being in the second division, the old second division, as it were. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. Was that was that a positive for you? I mean, for everybody looking at Man City, this was like this was the worst case possible scenario, wasn't it? Not only were Man City no longer in the in the Premier League, they'd gone from Division One and dropped down again, and they were in this kind of no man's league, really, for a club of Man City side. But I remember that period. I remember still thirty thousand turning up. Presumably, it was at Main Road then. You know, although although it was appeared quite a dark time for the club, I guess it was quite a positive time for you as the skipper. 
100%. You know, listen, if if the club had been wealthy and the club had had money, they wouldn't have signed me. As simple as that. You know, the timing was perfect. Um, you know, the, the tide was always going to turn at some point and it, it coincided with me being there. Um, but there were so many good things there. An exceptional manager, coaches, good players, young players. Um, but they'd had a really tough time. And, um, you know, and like I say, the timing was was right. And, um, you know, we went on a run and we had back-to-back -back promotions. Um, you know, we obviously got out of that league, but the momentum going into the following season, we kicked on again. And, um, you know, like I say, the club were never going to stay down there. It was always going to kick on. And the timing was right for me and everything in my life at that point. Um, and, you know, I... I, listen, I, I go to the games now. I'm still an ambassador. I go, you know, I still work for the club in 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 capacity of working for the the the, the city TV um, and the social media side of things, um, you know, and that's a byproduct of that period. But you know, Manchester City gave me so much more than what I gave them. You know, where I was in my life at that point, you know, and where I was going, um, you know, and and I never I never underestimate the part that the whole club played you know in my recovery as well as me getting back to where I should be in life and where I am today and yeah. so it was definitely a two-way relationship yeah uh, Andy a friend of mine um is Jamie Hoyland and I and I'd asked him if if your paths had crossed and he said we'd we'd played a few times and he described you as the as the hardest player he'd ever played against and you were the, and he also said that you were a nutter, but you were fair with it. Um, along and you said particularly alongside Gary Brabin at Blackpool. I, I was wondering where you felt, you know, if if we planted you back into the football pyramid now, where 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 do you feel your ability and level would be? Do you think you could cut it in the prem? I'm always going to talk more fondly than probably what's <laughs> what's the truth, uh, but. Listen, as a holding midfielder, Sam Allardyce put me into midfield when I was at my leanest and my fittest. Um, and I played for David Kemp at Plymouth. And, I, you know, I played over 100 games as a holding midfielder. And at my very, very best and at my leanest, I could have held my own in the Premier League as a holding midfielder. Don't think I could have been a centre-half. Maybe with the way the teams are structured nowadays, it would have been a bit more easy because you don't get exposed like you did when I played. When I was at Blackburn and I played a few games, you know, you were hopelessly exposed um, because it was so wide open. But the way teams are set up now and the way you drop into units and, you know, you might get exposed once or twice in a game, but there's something wrong. You're either chasing on badly at the end of a game if you're going to keep getting exposed. But... You know, so as a holding midfielder, I'd say, I'd say no. And you know, interesting. You talk about a hard man. You know, I I always like to ask somebody when they say that. Well, you and I say, well, like, just tell me what a hard man was. You know, because my perception of a hard man is probably different. You know, are we talking on the field? Are we talking on the street on the cobbles? You know, which I grew up on. What are we talking about when we say a hard man? Because mm -hmm. um, I think I was incredibly competitive and fair, but. You know, I certainly had a a wild streak, that's for sure. But um, yeah. I was brought up, like I say, on, on the back of Union Street, and it was the Wild West in, in the <laughs> 80s during my, my teenage years. It was just like, you know, it was dog eat dog and live by the sword, die by the sword. And that was the way I was brought up. And yeah, probably carried that into my football, probably a little bit too much at times. Andy, I've absolutely loved chatting football to you. I can't let you go without, you know, just looking at some of your clubs. They're a bit, we've got 
you've got Rovers fighting it out at the top and you've got Huddersfield and Blackpool in the bottom three, you know, looking like they're doomed and, and City are are hot on the heels of of Arsenal. You know, just a quick word on, on the, some of I mean, City for starters, do you, do you think they're going to, going to catch Arsenal and, and take the trophy? I hope they do, but I think it's going to be a lot tougher than what people think. And I was so impressed with Arsenal when they came in the cup, um, not you know a few weeks ago. I was so impressed with them when City beat them 3-1 when they had a 64% possession and more chances created. And perhaps if um, you know the chances had fallen to Haaland instead of Inketia, the result might have been different. So they are the real deal. They're definitely a team, you know, when it is a... I, I think they're favourites at this moment in time, Arsenal to win the league. You know, Burnley are going to run away with it. Um, and that's because they're they're set up to play. They're set up to fight. They're set up to be strong. They're set up to intimidate every quality that you need to be a successful team. They have it. But the question will be asked when they go up because the gulf is huge. You know, Blackpool, is, it's a tough one. Huddersfield, they're in a tough position. But, you know, if you want to call on experience, if experience keeps you up then you know Mick McCarthy and Neil Warnock they'll they'll, they'll finish mid table a pair of them yeah yeah it'd be interesting to see that journey and obviously my first club Plymouth Argyle which is my love is my is the team that I you know I grew up in supporting and they're in a very strong position you know and that looks like two from three to go up in that league why have they what just on Plymouth Andy why have they never kind of been a consistent championship club because they're they're a they're a big club aren't they they've got a huge fan base what yeah, is, it what's is. been the um, I think I think the financial input, you know, the main benefactor of yeah. of real significance. They've had people that have been good people who have invested, but that extra level, you know. And I know Burnley and I know Bournemouth, but they seem to get there organically, and then they built from there. And then you have the parachutes and you have the years, you know, that Sean Dyche kept Burnley in, um, and then that creates. A wealth in itself, but getting there is the problem, you know. When you know Plymouth went out of business not so long ago because of really over, you know, expending themselves, um, and it didn't work and left themselves in, you know, they went down the leagues and, um, but they're back now and, and I think the, you just run into big clubs, you know, mm. once you start running into Sunderland, Portsmouth, Derby, um, in that division, it's huge clubs and you're competing against, and then. And it comes down to, you know, your recruitment. It comes down to your quality of signings. And ultimately, it comes down to who can afford to bring in the better players. And I'm, I'm afraid that's the crux of it at all levels of football. You know, yeah. the top teams are paying the most money. And that, yeah. that's, you know, to break into that, you you need something different. Yeah. And, and just uh, finally on Burnley and Man City, I mean, in recent years in the Premier League, Burnley have been a bit of a whipping whipping boys for City. I scored twice against Burnley, by the way. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I did notice that, actually. I wasn't yeah. going to mention that. Um, um, but, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, I've, I've dreaded going to, my, uh, to to the Etihad in, in recent seasons because it's been four or five, I think six nil on one occasion. Mm-hmm. But do you, know what, do you know what, Andy? I actually think Burnley are going to come in the quarterfinal of the Cup and are going to try and take the game to City, which is not something City are used to. Vincent Company's got a model of football that is is pep all over it, and I've never seen football like it at Turf Moor. Do you think it'll be a quite a, a close game? Yeah, you, you don't know. I mean, I, I've seen some exceptional teams, much, much better teams than Burnley, come to Manchester City and get torn to shreds. Last season, Newcastle under Bielsa 7-0. You mm. know, it can go horribly against you, but 
um, still allowed to do their stuff. But if they're at their very best and they're fluent in what they do, then it's going to be incredibly difficult for Burnley. But, you know, football doesn't always work that way. Um, and, it, you know, the romantic side of Vinny going back to the stadium and the reception that he'll get, you know, will, will be magical. But there'll be two managers, Pep and Vinny, and they both want to win a game of football. Mm. Uh, they'll both be trying their best and they'll be organised and disciplined and, you know, they'll come up with a way. And I don't think Vinny's naive enough to think that he can go there and play the way he does against a bar, you know, against a, a Blackpool or a Huddersfield, you know, because he knows that he's not going to have possession of the ball for long periods of the game. And how he structures that will be will be down to his own, you know, personal identity. Yeah. And, and I could I could keep going with questions. I've got one last question. Do, do, could you see yourself uh, managing in the Football League? And if the right opportunity comes along? Let's see. Let's see what happens. You know, I'm um, I'm focused on what I'm doing. My my full attention is there in what I'm doing. And whatever the universe has got planned for me, I'm sure it will show its hand in time. Yeah. And Andy, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. I love reminiscing about football. You're, you're an intriguing guy. I'm delighted that you, you're well and, and things are going well. And uh, just thank, thanks so much for coming on the Godcast. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. See you again. Cheers.